You may be seated. God's good. You know, I have been blessed this weekend because I've been asked to speak on two things that I'm incredibly passionate about. And uh, my notes have just disappeared, so wait a second. Um, you know, I'm passionate about healing and what God's doing in the world, been setting people free and healing them. And I'm passionate about the Bible. And uh, I'm talking about that, that why and how we should read the Bible this morning. This book changed my life. As I started to read it and understand it and apply it to my life, it radically changed everything about me. And that was good. It wasn't bad. It, there were good things that came. I want to start by reading a passage from Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted, planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. He says, I love that phrase where he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. You know, the psalmist only had the first five books of the Bible, but they were his delight. In this session, I want us to look at why we should delight in the Word of God, in the Bible. You know, the first thing I want to talk to you about is its absolute uniqueness. You know, I don't think there's any other book in the world that has been translated into over 2,000 languages. It's unique in that sense. It's estimated there are 44 million Bibles sold every year. There was an article in the Times, and it was subheaded, Forget the modern British novelist, the TV times, the Bible is the biggest selling book every year. That's amazing, really, isn't it? The writer carried on. He said, as usual, the top seller by several miles was the Bible. If the communicative sales of the Bible were frankly uh, reflected in the bestseller lists, it would be rare that a week went by when anything else would achieve a look-in. It is wonderful, weird, or just plain baffling and increasing in an increasingly godless age when the range of books available is wider and each passing year there are more books than ever. One book should go on selling hand over fist, month after month, every other book. It's estimated in England or Britain alone over 1,250,000 Bibles are sold each year. That is phenomenal. The writer ends by saying all versions of the Bible sell well. And he asks the Bible Society, can you offer an, an explanation for this? And they said, well, it's just such a good book. It's uniquely popular. Secondly, it's uniquely powerful. I think it was Stanley Baldwin, one of the former prime ministers, 
who said, the Bible has explosive power to change lives. There's many of us here this morning that have experienced that power to change our lives. It sets people free from addictions. It gives people life in a way that they've never experienced before. At her coronation, the queen was handed a Bible and told, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing this world has to offer. You know, a few years ago, I was privileged to travel to Cambodia. It was just after the Khmer Rouge had been pushed out of the nation and they were trying to establish some peace. And my friend in Cambodia asked me if I would join him on the university campus one day. And we were going out to give out Bibles. And I went a little bit hesitantly. And we we took a, a few boxes of Bibles with us. But as the students got to hear what we were doing, they sought us out all around the campus. Students were asking where we were because they wanted to get hold of this book that we were giving out. They knew it was of great value. And you know, now, all these years later, many of them have experienced the transforming power that the Bible has. And they have transformed that nation in so many ways. It's uh, exciting to see. So the question is, why is the Bible so popular? Why is it so precious? Jesus says in Matthew 4, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What he's saying, actually saying here is, material things don't satisfy You know, you only have to read the papers almost any day of the week and you will see people who have everything that many of us could only ever dream of having and they're living desperate lives because they've discovered that all having all these material things doesn't satisfy a need that's deep within each and every one of us. Every one of us is hungry for spiritual things. To hear God speak to us. We might not realize that's what we're hungry for. But within us, there's a desire to hear God speak to us. And you know, the good news is God is constantly wanting to communicate with each and every one of us. You know, the birth of Christ wasn't so that we could have a nice Christmas. Christ came into this world with one purpose. That we might have a relationship with the living God. One way that God communicates with us is through the Bible. You know, people say the Bible is a manual for life. You know, God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews tells us that. We cannot find out about God unless he reveals himself to us, but God revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ And he is God's ultimate revelation. And we read the Bible to find out about Jesus. To know Jesus. God's revelation is revealed in Jesus to us through the Bible. It says, the Bible tells us that creation reveals God to us. You know, it says, the psalmist says, All the heavens declare the glory of God. 
You know, I'm, I'm very privileged. I live in the countryside and we back onto a golf course. And overnight, I take our dog for a walk out on the golf course. And because there's not much ambient light, you can look up and see the magnitude of the universe and all the beautiful stars. And it's awesome. But, you know, I'm constantly, cha- when I look up, I think, how can you not believe that there's someone who created all this? You know, the universe declares God's glory and that there must be a creator. You know, our sister was talking about, she was convinced that science and Christianity didn't oppose one another. I think it was Albert Einstein who said, you know, he was one of the greatest scientists ever. He said, there should be no conflict between science and the Christian faith. They complement one another. He carried on, he said, uh, science without religion is lame, and religion without science is blind. There is no conflict between science and religion. You know, God himself revealed himself through creation, but one of the main ways he reveals himself to us is through this book. As we read it, we discover what he's like, what his personality is how he wants us to live. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, all scripture is inspired by God. Some translations say breathed by God. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What the writer is saying is the scriptures... The Bible is God speaking. Of course, he, he used human agents. Men wrote it down. Yet it's 100% the work of man, but it's also 100% the inspired by God. Some people find that quite difficult to understand. You know, just down the road, we have St. Paul's Cathedral. Now, every one of us knows that St. Paul's Cathedral was built by Sir Christopher Wren. But I want to tell you, he never laid one stone. Yet we have no doubt that he was the builder. He was the architect. Other men and women laid the stones and built the building. But they did it under his inspiration and under his direction. So it was 100% built by other people but it was also 100% built by Sir Christopher Wren. And that's the same is true for the Bible. It's 100% the work written down by men, but it was 100% inspired by God. So the Bible is totally the work of man, yet totally the work of God. It's just as God wanted it. You know, this was the way Jesus talked about it himself. He treated the scriptures as God's word, as what God had said. You know, all through history, believers have accepted that. You know, right from the early theologians of the church, Irenaeus said, all scriptures are perfect. 
Luther spoke, he said, Scripture which has never erred. Today, the Roman Catholic Church have enshrined in Vatican II that the Scriptures written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit have God as their author and must be acknowledged as being without error. You know, it amazes me how over time men have tried to disprove the Bible. Um, who was the guy that did the sky at night? Uh, Patrick Moore. I remember watching him one night and he, he confidently asserted, he said, the Bible is not true because we know that there was never a star that traveled and burnt out over Bethlehem. Within one week, scientists discovered there had been a supernova that had traveled the exact route. And he was disproved. You know, he confidently asserted it one week and God revealed to someone the next week that his assertion was wrong and that the Bible was true. We can trust this book. You know, historically, it's true. That doesn't mean there's not difficulties. You know, even Peter didn't understand fully some of Paul's letters. Sometimes it's hard to understand. But many years ago, somebody gave me some very wise information. They said, if you come across a a verse or a passage in the Bible you don't understand, don't doubt it, don't throw it away, put it to one side, and at some point you will understand it. They said it's like a jigsaw puzzle. My wife loves doing jigsaw puzzles. She had a birthday recently and there was a particular view she loved. So I took a photo of it and I sent it off and had it turned into a jigsaw puzzle for her so that she can do it uh, because I knew she'd love that. But you know, the Bible's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, sometimes you pick up a piece in a jigsaw puzzle and you look at it and you think, And you look at the picture on the box and you think, this piece has got into the wrong box. It doesn't fit. You know, I've learned, if you throw that away, when you come to finish the picture, there's a piece missing. You know? And sometimes we don't always understand how things fit in. And they're difficult to understand. But over the years I've learned, as my picture of God expands and I understand him the pieces come together and I can see it clearly you know the Bible was written over a period of 1500 years by at least 40 authors and they included a great variety of people they included kings scholars philosophers fishermen uh, poets, statesmen, historians, and doctors. So it's been written in many different styles. It has historical facts, books that are historical facts. It has other books that are prophetic books. Some of those prophetic books have been fulfilled. Some are yet to be fulfilled. It has other, it has poetry, it has all sorts of writing. And if we're going to understand it, we need to understand the type of writing that we're reading. It's very important to hold on to the fact that all Scripture is inspired by God. Even if we don't, cannot immediately resolve all the difficulties. If we hold on to the fact that it's inspired by God, it has the power to transform. Let me read you a passage from Scripture. And it puts 
events into a very specific time frame. Luke, writing in his gospel, he says, Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch, tetrarch of the region of, excuse my pronunciation, Istria and Technocus, and Lysidius was tetrarch of Aberdeen. In the period of the Ananias and Cephas as high priest, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Luke puts this into a very specific time frame. Historians for many years said the Bible had got it wrong. Luke, you couldn't trust what Luke was saying because historically, historically this was inaccurate. They told us that uh, Licinius was not Tetrarch of Abilene at this time because he had been uh, he had been executed by Mark Antony in B.C. 34. And then some scholars found some documents. And amongst these documents, they found another Licinius, who was Tetrarch of Aberdeen at exactly the time Luke said he was. You know, as men have tried to disprove the Bible, God has revealed things that have been hidden only to prove them wrong. You know, Christians all over the world through, through the ages have found that the Bible is reliable and trustworthy. It's a source of guidance for everyday living. You know, and we as Christians have chosen it to, to make it the authority for all matters. You know, as we've seen, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. It is the authority for what we believe and what we teach. It's in the Bible we find out what God says, what he says we should do. The things, he talks about things like suffering, the Jesus, the cross, and many other things. It's our guidance for how we live, for correcting and training in righteousness, it says. It's through the Bible we find out what is wrong in God's eyes and how we can live to please him. You know, I think the Ten Commandments are one of the examples. Of it. They're a brilliant analyst, analyst of the minimum conditions which a society needs to live sober and righteous, civilized lives. You know, it shocked me when I first became a Christian. There's very little the Bible doesn't teach about. You know, if I go to young people, the first thing they ask you, you say, when I say the Bible teaches about everything, they say, does it talk about sex? I say, yes, it does. But it talks about how to bring your children up. It talks about how to work. It talks about, you know, looking for work and, and if you're able to get it, you know, to get work. It talks about every area of life. There's very little it doesn't teach us on. 
You know, some people say to me, well, that sounds awful. I don't want somebody else telling me what I can and can't do. I don't want a rule book. You know, one of the singers sang, I just want to be free. But is freedom really not having rules? You know, there was a, a, sur a survey done, um, a, well, actually an experiment, and they took a, a load of children and they put them in a park and they left them there for an hour. And at the end of the hour, all these children were playing just in the middle of the park in a very small area. And at the end of the experiment, the children went away and they fenced the park. They put a fence all around the outside of the park. And then they take the same group of children back and put them back in the same place. And an hour later, they came back. And they discovered that the children weren't just playing in the center of the park. They were playing throughout the park, right out to the boundaries. Having clear boundaries release them to enjoy everything that they had. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have that life to the full. I believe that boundaries help us to enjoy life. Our, our sister was talking about football matches. If we didn't have foot rules in football matches, it would be a disaster. You know, I, I don't know much about football, but I do know when my kids used to play it in the park next to our house, they were always coming in screaming and shouting, he's done this wrong, he's not done that. And you know, But when they went on a pitch with a referee and he established the rules, they all came home having enjoyed the afternoon's football. Rules enable us to enjoy life. It's clear, boundaries, far from restricting our lives, give us freedom. The Bible's God's revelation of his will for people. The more we discover his will and put it into the practice, the freer we can become. That's not just theory. That's been my experience over 40 years now. Our sister said the Bible's a love letter, it is. But for sadly, for some people, they study this book. They, you know, perhaps read it through, even in a whole year. You know, they read from cover to cover. They believe God has spoken as they study for hours. They analyze it. They read commentaries. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But they don't seem to realize that it's not only has it has God spoken through it? He still speaks through the Bible to us today. God's desire is that we should live in a relationship with him. He wants to speak to us daily. And one of the ways he does that is through the Bible. So as well as being a manual for life, it's a love letter. You imagine... Uh, I bought a new Hyundai car last year. Now imagine I got the, I kept, when I came home, I took the manual out and I started to read through it and I underlined some of the important points in it. 
Um, you know, if I was a real anorak, I might have cut out some of the pieces of the manual and stuck them on my mirror, my shaving mirror, so that it reminded me each day of the important things. You know, if I was really, a, my wife's a musician, I might have asked her to put some of the words to music. And, you know, she, she, she would have done that for me. And then perhaps, you know, because it's a Korean car, I would learn Korean so I could read the manual in its original language. But I did all this, imagine that. But then I never drove the car. What would you think? You think you're crazy. You know, the idea of the Bible is not so we can just learn about God. It's so that we can have a relationship with him. So that we can, as it were, have the life that he intended us to have. The main point of the Bible is to show us how to enter into that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know, I think it's really sad that people would read the Bible continually and never enter into a relationship. I heard a story of a woman who was flying on a plane and she was reading a book. And the guy who was sitting next to her said, are you enjoying the book? And she said, well, yes, but there's a lot of things I don't understand. And he said, well, what don't you understand? And and she told him what she didn't understand, and he explained to her. And at the end of the flight, they had a wonderful conversation as far as this woman was concerned. And she said, excuse me, do you mind if I asked you a question? How do you know so much about this subject? He said, I wrote the book. You know, when you meet the author, everything changes. Our relationship with God is meant to be a two-ray relationship. We speak to him in prayer, but he speaks back to us in many ways, especially through the Bible. God speaks through what he's already spoken. The writer to the Hebrews says, when he quotes the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit says. It's not just the Holy Spirit spoke in the past, He's still speaking through God's word afresh today. This makes the Bible alive. I think it was Martin Luther, the great reformer, who said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It, lay hold, it lays hold of me. So what happens when God speaks? Well, he brings faith to those who are not believers. Some people often say to me, well, I don't have any faith to. I say, well, read the Bible. Read John's Gospel. The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing by the message of God through the Word. You know, often as people write, read the Bible, they come to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Nicky Gumbel tells this story. He's the author of the Alpha Course. He tells this story of his friend called Earl Smith. And Earl was a very wealthy man. In fact, Earl was too wealthy for his own good. 
He got involved with drugs and then got involved in heavier drugs and eventually ended up in hospital, really quite seriously ill. Uh, But one of Earl's friends came to the hospital to see him while he was in there and he said, Earl, I've bought you a New Testament to read while you're in the hospital so you don't get bored. And Earl was so pleased because the pages of the New Testament were the perfect thickness for him to roll his joints. And he rolled his way through Matthew, Mark and Luke. But when he got to John, he actually started to read it. And as he read John's gospel, he realized there was a God that loved him. And he invited that God into his life and he came into a relationship with Jesus. Now, uh, he was under a psychologist at the hospital and she said to Earl, I can't make you out. She says, I have everything that I want. I'm wealthy, I'm attractive. She had been a model. She said, I'm successful. But she said, deep inside of me, my, you know, she said, I know that there's something more. She said, I look at you and your life is a mess, but you have peace and tranquility. And he said, well, that's because I've met Jesus. And eventually he led her to the Lord and asked her to be his wife, and they got married. So. But it all started from him reading John's Gospel. So if you don't have faith this morning, read John's Gospel. John says, Therefore, many other signs and wonders Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things have been written so that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. So John writes and he says, I've written this book so you can believe. So it's always a good place to start. You know, as we read the Bible, we experience its power to transform us and to bring us into a relationship with God. As we study, we come into contact with Jesus. It's always amazed me how this Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago speaks now to me through his word. You know, perhaps that's not always audibly. You know, he did speak to me once audibly, but that was because I was doing some things I shouldn't be doing. (laughs) And I think he had had enough trying to give me Hints, you know, my wife does that sometimes, you know. But most of the time, God speaks to me in my mind and and through impressions. He's interested in everything we do. You know, I used to be a businessman. I had a gas heating and maintenance business. I remember being at a house one day. And I'd been there several hours and I could not work out what was wrong with their heating system. And when you're self-employed, there's no one else to call on. And I said, God, I need help. I don't know what's wrong. And as I'm standing there praying, I see this junction box on the wall. It's well away from any of the central heating controls. And God says to me, look in that box. And I take the two screws out and I pop the cover off the box. And I notice there's a wire that's not in its connector. And as I tap it on the connector, the system bursts into life. You know, God is interested in every area of our life. He doesn't just want to help us with Uh, spiritual things. He wants to help us with practical, everyday things. So as we read, he speaks to us. 
You know, time is a valuable possession. The pressure on our times in these modern society is ever increasing. You know, there's a saying, money is power, but time is life. You know, if we're going to read the Bible, we need to set time aside to read it. We need to find somewhere where we can be at peace and be at quiet. It says Jesus got up early in the morning and went to a quiet place. Now, I'm terrible at getting up early in the morning. Uh, I don't like early in the morning. But, you know, I find a quiet place where I can go. It's normally out on the golf course, as I said to you, you know. I get out there and I, 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 it's quiet. You know, the golfers have finished there hitting their balls around, you know, and I go out and just find a quiet place and read my Bible, you know. And I found over the years it's wise to start realistically. You know, when I first became a Christian, I thought I'd read the Bible from cover to cover. You know, after about two days, I gave up. You know, it's better to read a little bit and often and to allow it to be part of you. What does the Bible, and then when we've read it, ask yourself some questions. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to the person who wrote it? What does it mean to the first people who read it? How does it apply to me and my family? And then try to put it into practice. Because it's as we put it into practice in our lives that it will transform us. You know, this book, I want to commend it to you. It's transformed my life. I've seen it transform so many people's lives. It's more than a manual for life. It's God speaking now, today, to each and every one of us. It's his love letter, as our sister said, to this world. God bless you.